Hi, my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, restoredtemecula.church, and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Okay, well, this morning, we're going to jump back into uh, a series that we we put on pause for like probably two months, just because God had other things going on. Uh, But we're going to jump back into a series that we've been going through for several months prior to that called The King and His Kingdom, where we've been been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew uh, through the lens of like wanting to learn as much as we can about Jesus, the King, and the Kingdom of Heaven, the Kingdom of God. And one of the, 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 the reasons for that is I think that there's some misconceptions, um, not just outside of the church, but even in the church, about what the kingdom of heaven is. Uh, oftentimes people think that the kingdom of heaven is just kind of something that you go to after you pass away. Um, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, those are synonymous. But the kingdom of heaven, it's so much more than that. The kingdom of heaven is more than just a place that you go to after you die. It's a, it's a reality for you and I to experience here and now. Not fully, actually partly here in the present, but fully realized in the future. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we're referring to the rule and the reign of God. He's king, right? So his ways. In the kingdom of God, there's no disease. There's no suffering. There's no pain. There's no death. And so the day is coming when that kingdom, that rule, that reign, God's ways will be fully realized. But it's not just a distant reality. It's a present reality as well, partly in the present, fully in the future. And so we've been exploring Matthew's gospel, his account of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, through the lenses of we want to learn as much as we can about the king, which is who? Jesus. There we go. And his kingdom, what it's like, okay? So this morning, without further ado, I'm just going to jump right in. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, the the guys will throw the words up on the screen there for you. I'll be in the Christian Standard Bible translation. So if you have a different one, it might be helpful to have it up there. But before we read God's word, I want to pray. So will you join me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we get to be together. Thank you that we get to um, pause for a bit, slow down a bit, and give ourselves over to learning more about you, but also to experience you through your word. So I ask for a greater awareness of your presence right now for each one of us. Holy Spirit, I, I ask that you would open like the the eyes of our heart to be able to see Jesus more clearly. We want to learn more about your kingdom. We were created for your kingdom. And so would you help us this morning? We need you. We look to you. We're really grateful for your presence with us. Show us the way. 
And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so really quickly, before we jump in, uh, this morning is going to be kind of a, a, a different approach to this passage. Now, the passage that we're going to read out of, it's typically, or I should say, it, is, it would typically be split up into like three, maybe four different sermons, okay? Uh, if you have your Bible in front of you, you will see there are the passages that we're going to go through. We're going to go through verses 1 through 18. And verses 1 through 18, if you look in your Bible, it's broken up into four different sections, Okay? Now, typically, zooming in on each one of those sections would be very beneficial. You could, you could really start to get into the detail. In the same way, if you zoomed into anything, you'd be able to see the detail of it, right? But it's only when you zoom out that you get to see kind of the big picture. If you've ever, if you've ever flown in an airplane, you know what I'm talking about. You can, you can see the country that you're flying over from a much more broad perspective. You can see the big picture of what's going on. That's kind of the approach that I want to take this morning. And the reason I want to take that approach this morning is because I think God, you'll see it in a second, he weaves something throughout these kind of three, four sections, if you will, that if you just stay in the details, you miss. But if you zoom out, there's something profound here for us that Jesus is teaching us, okay? So we're going to zoom out today. Now, Really quickly, Jesus, what he's going to do is he's going to reference three spiritual disciplines and these three, like these things that you do, okay? And he assumes that all Christians are going to do these three things regularly. So I want to play a game with you. I'm about to read through this and I want us to read it together. But as we do that, the game is this. I want you to see if you can identify the three specific spiritual disciplines that Jesus is highlighting, okay? So if you have your Sunday notes, you can, you can do that. Let's read together. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this. This is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. He says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward. Everybody say reward. That was five of you. Great job. <laughs> Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Everybody say secret. There we go. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse five, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Gentiles are just non-Jews. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. We covered these verses last week, actually, ironically enough. Pray like this, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Verse 16. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, what are those three spiritual disciplines? Did you catch what they were? Let me hear you. Give, pray, and fast. Okay? These are the things that Jesus assumes that every Christian will practice. And by practice, I mean do regularly. All right, look at it with me really quick. I want to go through these really fast. Give, pray fast, give. Look back at verse two. Jesus says, whenever you give to the poor. And then in verse three, he says, when you give to the poor. So it's not assumed, I should say it is assumed, that Christians will practice generosity, especially with the poor. Okay? Prayer. Uh, look at verse 5. Same kind of pattern here. Whenever you pray. And then in verse 6, when you pray. Not if. When. Right? It's assumed that prayer will be a regular part of the Christian's life. And then fasting. Look at verse, down at verse 16. Same kind of pattern, whenever you fast. And then the following verse, 17, when you fast. Uh, fasting is not just not eating. It, it definitely involves that, right? What fasting is, fasting is foregoing food to feast on God. So there's, there's spiritual implications here. It's not just an empty religious duty. Fasting's foregoing food to feast on God. It, it's an act of, of faith. Faith is trust, right? It's an act of faith that says, God, I need you. Like, I'm hungry for you. I need you even more than I need food. You guys know, you're a human being. If you don't eat, what happens to you? You starve, you die, yeah. God, I need you. I hunger for you. I, I, I'm desperate. I need you more than I need even food. It's a living picture of hungering for God. Okay? And here's the thing about fasting. Fasting has a way of getting God's attention, man. It just does. Why? Because it's a profound act of faith, of trust. Now, more on this later in the message. Now, again, Jesus, the same pattern, giving, prayer, and fasting. With fasting, it's not a matter of if. He doesn't say, if you decide you want to fast. He goes, when you fast. He's assuming that that happens regularly in the life of a Christian, right? It's something that Christians do often. Now, before I get into kind of my main points here, I think it's important for us to 
to talk about this because this I don't want to skip over any of Jesus' words here. Are these three things a regular part of your life? Because Jesus, uh, if, if you're a Christian in the room, if you're a disciple of Jesus, your, your rabbi, if you will, your Lord, your Savior, assumes that these are things that you are doing. And I'm not here to throw shade. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. That's not what's happening. But I think it's hard for us to even move forward in what else Jesus is going to teach here without actually taking our temperature of going, hey, are these things that actually mark my life? Because Jesus says it marks the life of a disciple. Okay? If they're not something, I think it's probably something for you to address this morning. It's a good thing. Okay? Now, here's the thing. If you're not a Christian in the room, feel free to hold your Christian friends accountable with these things uh, because Jesus does. Jesus does. Um, If it's helpful to you at all uh, to know, these are not three things that I'm like an expert at in my life. But there is, I feel like there's consistency. And the reason there's consistency is because I schedule these things. And I want to encourage you, if if you're like me, where it's like, my intentions are like, I want to follow Jesus. I want to honor him. I want to uh, practice the way of Jesus. Life can get busy real quick. And if you're anything like me, if I don't schedule something, there's a good chance it's not going to happen. So I schedule these things. Uh, giving. Um, our family, we, we, we budget generosity every single month. Like it's a line item on our monthly budget. Okay, and oftentimes, I would say probably the majority of our giving is all automated. So like our tithing to the church, that's automated. Other kingdom investments, other kingdom initiatives that God places on our heart every month, like our our monthly giving towards that, that's all scheduled, that's all automated. But we also have another portion, like actually another portion, but we have a portion of our our monthly generosity budget, this is my household, that is for opportunities to be generous that, like, that are outside of those. So random things that come up. Maybe there's a community need or maybe there's something that gets presented that we weren't aware of. Like There's money for that set aside every month that is earmarked for generosity because if we don't schedule it, if we don't earmark it, if we don't set it aside, it probably won't happen. So this isn't about like earning favor with God. This is about just living with wisdom and intentionality. Okay, so that's how it looks like for us, or for me, I should say, for for giving. For prayer, same kind of thing, I schedule it. There's a, I have have a dedicated time every day that's my time with Jesus. It's it's an appointment with my heavenly father every single morning. Schedule it, I don't miss it. And then from that kind of, that morning appointment with the Lord, from there, it's about just remaining with him the rest of the day. Stay with me, abide in me. Now, you might be like, mornings are really hard. You know, you're trying to get the kids out of the house for school or you commute or there's, there's significant challenges for that happening for you in the morning. That's fine. Pick another time of the day. Do, do what works best for you, but that, that element of intentionality, wisdom, scheduling it, fasting. Typically, I fast once a month. Sometimes it's for a 24-hour period of time. Other times it's longer. And, and the time with which I'll fast is, is really dependent on, on where my need is for the Lord. Like maybe it's just, maybe I'm in a season where I'm like, I just, I want to experience more of him and I want to develop 
this discipline because I know that it will, I know that it will bear fruit in my relationship with him, in my relationship with others. I'm a spiritual being just as much as I'm a physical being. Sometimes it's 24 hours. Other times it's like, it's, I'm desperate. Other times I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go the distance with this one because I need him. You with me in this? But that schedule, it's on the calendar. Now, Jesus assumes that these three things will be a regular part of his disciples' lives. So maybe the first question for us this morning is, are they? Not to load you up with religious duty, but for us to be accurately aware of, one, what God is inviting us into, the way of Jesus, and where we are in that process. You with me? No condemnation, no guilt, no judgment, just an accurate picture of where I'm at, okay? Now, my, uh, let's get into the main points here. My first point from this passage is this. God sees it all. God sees it all. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus uses the same exact phrase when speaking about each of these three spiritual disciplines. Did you catch it? He says this, he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says that for each of those three spiritual disciplines. God sees in secret, okay? He sees it all. Do you know what that means? That means nothing is hidden from God. Think about that for a moment. Nothing is hidden from him. Now, what this should do is this should, this should do two things to us. It should comfort us and it should appropriately convict us, right? Comfort and conviction, right? Now, <clears throat> the reason I say that is because the Greek word there, it was originally written in Greek, right? The Greek word there for reward you God will reward you, right? That word, what it basically means is wages. So in the same way, like, you go to work on Monday morning, you work a full day, you've earned wages, right? Now, check this out. This is one, uh, one Bible commentator. He defines that, that Greek word. This is what it means, that word, reward you, wages. This isn't my opinion. He says, this is what it means. It means a payment for worthy acts or retribution for wrongdoing. So in other words, you really could translate this. God who sees in secret will repay you. What's happening here is it's, it's referring to this biblical concept of sowing and reaping. Okay, maybe you've heard about this. It's the picture of you sow seeds and the seeds that you sow will reap the seeds that you sow. If you plant an apple tree, what are you gonna, what's going to pop out of the ground? An apple tree, not a cactus, right? <clears throat> so what you sow, you will reap. Now, here's the thing. Some people have a hard time with this, and I understand why. Some people have a really difficult, especially like kind of, we're, we're New Covenant Christians. Like this is the New Testament, Right? That, that sounds anti-grace to me. That sounds Old Testament to me. If you're in that camp, stay with me. 
okay? I, I think that there'll be some beauty here for you to enjoy. Now, when I say that, that this concept should comfort us, that God sees all, nothing's hidden from them, it should comfort us. Like, think about this. All the good stuff that you don't get credit for, all the wonderful things you do that seemingly go unnoticed, man, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The ways you sacrificially serve your family, not just you mom and dads, youth in the room, that includes you. When nobody's watching and you choose love, you choose sacrifice and you don't get a trophy, you don't get likes on Instagram, your father who sees in secret will reward you all the hidden acts of kindness, of service, of love, of, of care, all the seemingly unnoticed, unappreciated goodness, your Father who sees in secret will reward you because nothing is hidden from God. So please let that comfort parts of your heart this morning. But I think most of us at the room, when I said that, your heart didn't go straight to comfort. Your heart probably went to conviction. I know mine does. Uh, when I was a young kid, uh, my parents worked really hard to raise us. They made a lot of sacrifices. We had a, a babysitter on um, this family. They were wonderful. Um, <clears throat> my brother Mark and their son were the same age, and they had a good friendship growing up. But I remember um, being at their house often because they would watch us when my parents were either at work or whatever. And I remember one time over the summer, we're not in school, so we're there kind of during the day, and... Um, do you guys remember Beanie Babies? That, I, no, never mind. I'll leave that alone. Beanie Babies were like stuffed animals that had like, what, what would you call it inside of them? I guess they call them seeds, beads, beans, whatever. Bean, yeah, like you get the drift. There's like these little plastic things that if you eat them, you're probably going to die of toxic, you know, chem poisoning or whatever. But, but man, so he had, their, their, their son had this Beanie Baby. And, and they were like at the rage at the time. And I was like, what is this, you know? And I noticed that there was like a little, a, kind of like a hole starting, like the, the thread was starting to kind of come apart. And so for whatever reason, I don't know what it is about um, children, at least maybe it was me and other kids that I know, but I'm not gonna make a judgment on all kids. But there's something that I've witnessed with kids. It's like, oh, there's a hole there. Let me put my finger in it and make it exponentially worse so that all of the beans come out of the beanie baby. So I did this. It wasn't a good choice. It wasn't a wise choice, but I did it. And nobody saw me do it. However, uh, the son in the household, he knew that I had possession of the Beanie Baby last. And he had possession of it prior to me. And all the beans were in the Beanie Baby when he had it. And then after I had it, all of the beans and the beanie baby were gone. So he's a young boy at the time. He bursts into tears. He runs to his mom. Guess what he says? You know, Tom has murdered my beanie baby. All the beans are gone. He's, a, he's sad. He's hurting. And so the mom, patiently, she goes, Tom, did, 
did you, did you murder the beanie baby? Like, did you, <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you take all the beans out of the beanie baby? And being the incredibly just holy uh, yeah, person that I am and was, I, I, I looked at her and I said, I, didn't, I have no, what? <laughs> Who would do such a thing? In a poor, innocent beanie baby. And when I said that, the, the son in the household is like, there's no other explanation than that that happened under at least my care. So I at least have to know something about it. We go round and around, and I'm owning the lie. Like, I'm straight up owning it. Like, no, I, I, I didn't do that. I know. And I, could, I remember the mom, our babysitter, and I remember her assessing the situation because you could kind of clearly see what was happening here. And she said something to me that stuck with me. No one could prove anything. She looked at me and she goes, God sees you. Dude. It was like, whoa, like, aren't you just going to punish me or like put me in time out? Hey, God sees you. I may have been successful at keeping the lie hidden from people. However, nothing is hidden from God. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. This is heavy. I'm going to warn you, but it's good for us to feel this. Apostle Paul writes this to Christians Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destructions or destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. There's that concept sowing and reaping. Do you know what that means? That means that God honors your choices. God honors your choices. He, he honors the wise choices. He also honors the unwise choices. And when I say honors, I don't mean like approves of. I mean he goes, okay. He honors the wise choices. He honors the unwise choices. He honors the good choices. And he honors the bad choices that we make. You will reap what you sow. It's written into like the fabric of creation. God who sees in secret will repay you. Therein lies the tension of the Christian faith, friends. There's tension here. And I don't want to gloss over it as though it's not here. Okay? I don't know if you know, there's tension in the Bible to where it's like there's two seemingly opposing viewpoints. That, wait, wait, what? He did this and then, what? Which one's true? Uh, here's a good example for you. Question. Um, does God choose you or do you choose him? Christians have been arguing about that one for thousands of years. Does God choose you or do you choose him? 
The answer is both. There's tension there. I can see around the room. Some of you are already freaked out. (laughs) It's both. Hear me. God initiates. We respond. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. Famous verse on coffee mugs all the time, right? We love because he first loved us. We choose him because he first chose us. God initiates, we respond. But hear me, salvation requires both. I'm not saying you or I earn our salvation. It's not based on works. It's not based on merit. What I'm saying is you and I have agency. And God honors the choices that we make. If he didn't, love couldn't exist. There's ten- I want you to say that there's tension here. The Bible makes it clear, right? We're saved by grace, not by works so that no one can boast. Merit cannot save a person. Yet, am I, Jesus, is he really saying like we're rewarded based on how we live? Yep. Tension. There's tension. If you're struggling with this, my next point's gonna help, I promise. Okay, but I want you to see this. The first thing that we see here that's important, worth noting, God sees it all, right? That means he sees you. He sees you. My hope is that that both comforts you and appropriately convicts you. Not not condemnation, conviction. Condemnation is evil from the enemy. Says this defines you, you're bad, go away. You're condemned. Conviction is the love of the Father who wants you to see the danger that you're in and the call to turn from that. You with me? Comfort and conviction, both of those are incredibly loving. Um, let's see. My next point, my second one is this. You hear, I've, I feel like this pops up in like one out of every 10 preaches, but this. God cares more about the why than the what. God cares more about the why than the what. Jesus says, not if, but when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he says, don't be like who? Hypocrites and Gentiles. Why? Let's look at uh, verse two. Talks about they give to be applauded by people. So they're doing their give love campaign and it's like, all right, let's throw the top you know, five givers up on the board and everyone's like, I'm gonna give more so I can be on the board. Like, they give to be applauded by people, okay? Uh, verse five, they pray to be seen by the people. Verse 17, they make their fasting obvious to the people around them. You see the common thread there, the common denominator. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Let me read you a quote. Uh, one Bible, co- I think you guys have this one, Dave. Uh, one Bible commentator says this. The word hypocrites originally referred to Greek actors who wore different masks to play various roles. Jesus criticizes the religious leaders, most notably the Pharisees, for a particular form of hypocrisy. Check this out. Doing right things for the wrong motives. (laughs) 
End quote. Jesus calls them actors. These are the people that if today, if they walked in the room, all of us would be like, dude, those people are like really holy. Like they have their act together. Like they give the most money or they pray more hours than anybody else or they're, they're always fasting. They're always, they must always be hungry for God. And Jesus is like, they're actors. They do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Their what is good. Don't get me wrong. Their what is good. Their why is not. Can I just be candid with you? Good God, is that not? Good God, does that not describe my life? God cares more about your why than your what. Uh, An analogy that I use all the time that's helpful for me as much as it is to illustrate the point is like, forgive me, you've heard me say this so many times, but there's new faces and I want to get this point across. Um, Let's say after gathering, you and I go to lunch and we walk up to the counter and I'm like, hey, it's on me. Pick anything that you want off that menu. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. And I'm like, I insist. And you're like, no, no, no chance. And I'm like, I insist. And like, you look at the, you know, you, you, pick, you pick your meal and you, I order it and I, and I pay for it. That, that might sound, that, is, that can be a really generous, kind thing to do. But the what is good. But the why, what if, what if, what if the, my reason for doing that is just because I want you to like me more? Who's it really for at that point? Or how about this? Same situ- situation. They have those, those cool new uh, cat, uh, like cat registers now, you know, where you can, it's, they, they spin the screen around and the prompt is 10%, 15%. <laughs> or nothing. And you're standing right next to me. And so I'm like, I'm hitting that 25%, man. I'm going to tip more because you're watching. If if my motivation, if my why in that moment is I want to be seen as generous more than I actually want to live generously, who am I tipping? Guys, please hear me. God cares more about your why than your what because your why reveals what you worship. Your why reveals in each moment that with which you are ascribing the most worth to. Hear me. Your why reveals your God. Think about that for a second, please. Don't miss this one. Remember, comfort and conviction. Conviction oftentimes is one of the most loving things that God could possibly do for us. God cares more about your why than your what because your why reveals what you worship. Your why reveals what matters most to you. Here's how I know I'm in trouble. 
Here's how I know I've, 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 I've lost the plot. Here's how I know I've drifted away from the way of Jesus, the way that God created me and designed me to operate. Here's how I know when I think and I ask myself, what will they think instead of what will God think? Subtle, huh? You hear people talk about Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Super cheesy, super true. Okay, the whole essence of religion is how do I appease God? How do I, what do I have to do? What rituals, what things do I need to do to get in right standing with God? Listen, religion focuses on the what. Christianity is different. It focuses on the why. Religion focuses on the what. Christianity focuses on the why because your why reveals your worship. Friends, God sees it all. That means he sees your why. I would argue as he's observing the world, as he's, if he's tuned in like a father is to their child, he's just tuned into your life, do you know what he's looking at? He's looking at your why. God sees it all. It means he sees your why. Do you see your why? Or are you just flying through life? Not taking a pulse, not realizing what's going on in you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, my final point, and this is my favorite one. My final point, there's a better reward. There's a better reward. Now, did you notice Jesus, he compares two different rewards here. Did you catch it? He talks about the rewards that come from man and then the rewards that come from God. The rewards that come from man and the rewards that come from God. He goes, there are people, he's talking about the hypocrites and the Gentiles, he goes, you have people who are giving, people who are praying, people who are fasting, and they're doing it for a reward. Hear me, that's not bad. Doing things for a reward is, is not bad at all, okay? I would propose to you that every single thing that you and I do in our lives is directly attached to a potential reward. Like a, a, a reward of pleasure, a reward of comfort, a reward of excitement, a reward of entertainment, even a reward of sympathy, a reward of approval. I mean, the list could go on and on and on and on. And on. I would argue <clears throat> that practically everything that we do in life is, is directly attached to a potential reward that we might receive. So hear me, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. The reward that these people were seeking is a reward that comes from other people, right? And Jesus says, they got it. They got the reward. But he says there's a better reward. Um, this next weekend, my daughters and a handful of, of the young ladies in the church are going to be in a play um, 
that the city puts on every year. And it's super cute. Okay, this year it's going to be Peter Pan. And I'm not exaggerating. Like, the kids do such a good job, man. They work so hard at it. There's some really talented young kids. All the kids are really talented and cute. Some, it's, every, it's every, I think it's like as young as, help me, Brittany, Ebony. As young as seven or eight and as old as like high school kids. So you see this really cool mix of all these kids doing all, like the dancing and singing and performing and all the things. And the sets are always really nice. It's at the, it's at the community theater in Old Town, which if you haven't been there, it's a really nice venue. And so yeah, this, this next coming weekend, my girls are going to be in, in that play with Eva Rose and the Shives and a handful of others. And it's always really cute and fun to watch. Last year, um, Vivian, my youngest, it was her first time ever doing a play like this. And the play was Beauty and the Beast. And if you know anything about the theater, which I, I know nothing about the theater, but opening night's like a big deal. Opening night, you like, you like bring flowers to the, you know, the people that are in it. It's like this thing, you know? And, and I didn't really know much about the hubbub of the opening night, but like you can feel, like you show up and you can feel the like, there's like a buzz in the room and it's like this cool thing. And man, I'm, I'm like, me and Eber sitting in like the second row, you know, we're like ready to watch this thing. And I remember, you know, like the whole cast comes out and, and, and Vivian, my youngest, she's like prancing around the stage and she's singing and she's doing all these things and she's dressed up in her costume and just like adorable, right? And here's what's funny. She's doing all her things and she keeps like looking at me. I'm pretending you're me, Keith. But she just keeps like, what? Like she keeps watching me while she's doing this. To the point where I'm like, girl, like just, you're, everyone can tell you're looking at me. Like just perform, do your thing. Um, in Christianese, that's what's known as playing for an audience of one. Guys, there were several hundred people sitting around me. And in Vivian's world, they may as well not even have been there. She's performing for an audience of one. These hypocrites, who was the audience that they were playing to? Other people. Other people. And Jesus is telling them and his disciples, they're playing, they're playing to the wrong audience. They're playing to the wrong audience. And because they're playing to the wrong audience, they've received their appropriate corresponding reward. but he says there's a better reward. Do you know what Vivian experienced that night? As she's dancing and singing around that stage, constantly trying to find me and looking at me. Do you know what she experienced? She experienced the pleasure on her father's face the whole time. Friend, listen to me. 
That's what you were created for. You were created to experience the pleasure of the Father's face all throughout your day. You're created to, to, to live, if you will, for an audience of one. Totally cheesy. Totally true. You were created to live for an audience of one and experience the pleasure of the Father as you do. 18 verses today. That's, nor that's more than normal. 18 verses today. Jesus refers to God as Father in 10 of them. Do you think he's trying to reinforce something? I do. There's a better reward than public praise. There's a better reward than acclaim. There's a better reward than fame. There's a better reward than wealth. There's a better reward than notoriety. And the better reward is experiencing the pleasure of the Father. Remember, your why reveals your worship. Friends, listen to me. When you live for an audience of one, that's worship. It's not just when we're here singing praises, lifting our hands, as important and necessary as that is because God's worthy of it. I don't even know this whole Sunday gathering, it's primarily for him. It's primarily to deliver him the praise, the worship, the adoration, the respect, the reverence that he is due. And that's pleasing to him. I don't know if you know this, you can please him. You have the potential to be able to please Almighty God. That's awesome. To bring, to bring him pleasure is what I'm saying. That's fantastic. When you live for an audience of one, that's worship. Hear me. The fruit of worshiping God is pleasure. Write that one down. The fruit, the outcome of worshiping God as pleasure. If you sow seeds of worshiping God, ascribing the most worth to him, trusting in him, enjoying him, obeying him, operating like him, the, 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 what you will reap from that, the fruit from that is pleasure. For who? For God? Yes. And for you. And for me. And maybe you're, maybe you're one of those kind of people where you're like, listen, I'm cool with Jesus, believe the Bible's true, but like, even this morning, we're singing praise, like, I worship, it just doesn't really bring me that much pleasure. It's just not really my thing, I'm more of a kind of reserved, contemplative person, and like, I honor God with my mind. That's great. But hear me, if worshiping God the most beautiful, spectacular being in all of creation, if worshiping God doesn't bring you pleasure, hear me with respect, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And the reason I say you're doing it wrong is because if, if, if worshiping God, Almighty God, Father, Son, Spirit, Yahweh, if worshiping God isn't bringing you pleasure, it's because because it's not actually God that you're worshiping. 
something else is central. Maybe it's you, maybe it's your emotions, maybe it's what you have, maybe it's what you don't have that you're ascribing the most worth to. Because hear me, the fruit, the fruit of worshiping God is always pleasure. You ever had those seasons where you feel close to God? Do you know what I'm talking about where you're like, there's, okay, the seasons where you feel distant from God, like, man, I'm just like, feel like he's, I feel like my prayers are hitting a ceiling. I feel like he's not really with me, although I do believe the Bible's true. I do believe these things, but I'm not feeling it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think we all go through seasons like that. And then correspondingly, we, we, we go through those seasons where I'm like, dude, I feel close to him. He's like active in my life. This is real. Like those moments, you know what I'm talking about? That feeling of closeness to him. If you've ever felt that, you know what I'm talking about, that pleasure, where you're like, I have a joy no matter what. Like, I have a joy even though some bad stuff's happening. I feel secure even though there's examples of insecurity all around me. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're not experiencing pleasure, you're doing it wrong. Here's what it looks like when God is the object of your worship. Psalm 63, verses one through five. This is David writing. Keep something in mind. David's not writing this like sitting in his palace, like super rich, perfect circumstances. David's writing this because he's on the run because his son Absalom's trying to kill him. That's what he says. This is what it looks like when God's the object of your worship. God You are my God. I eagerly seek you. Not your stuff. Not what you can do. You. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. In a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you. Check this out. Because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. Satisfaction. That sounds like a fantastic feeling. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He says to God, God's faithful love is better than life. Question, do you know pleasure like that? Use your imagination, friends. Do you know pleasure like that? There's all sorts of incredible, gracious gifts that God has given us in creation for us to enjoy. I can think of 10 to 15 things right now some of which shouldn't be mentioned because there's kids in the room that are spectacularly pleasurable, that are wonderful, that are good, that are beautiful, but they're fleeting. Do you know pleasure like that? Your faithful love is better than it all. It's better than life. It's better than the money. It's better than the acclaim. It's better than the power. Guys, David 
He's the king. He could go, army, go do this. Execute my will, whatever it is. Your faithful love is better than life. Dude, do you know pleasure like that? If you aren't experiencing pleasure worshiping God, it means you're doing it wrong. All right. I'm gonna call the band up. I'll close with this. If you're on the prayer team, if you wouldn't mind making your way to the side of the room, I'm doing okay on time. Better than life. Better than life. Okay. Jesus says there's a better reward, right? There's a better reward. Now, one more question for you because I want to end. I want to land the plane. Do you see what God's actually rewarding here? Do you see it? Um, There's three stories that are pretty familiar from, from Luke's gospel, his account of Jesus, that reinforce what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew, right? That what is God actually rewarding? Um, There's the story of the bleeding woman in Luke chapter eight. You chosen fans, this should be fresh for you. There's the story of the 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17. And there's the story of the blind beggar in Luke chapter 18. Do you know what they all have in common? Bleeding woman, right? You guys, if if you don't know the story, I'll summarize it for you. This woman is experiencing bleeding for 12 years because she's suffering significantly for 12 years. Not just the pain, not just the discomfort, not just the physical reality, but the social implications of that, okay? She's in Jewish culture. Like, she is unclean all the time. She is, if she's, if if, if the people that are around her have have the, um, the potential to become unclean just by being around her, she is a social outcast, Okay, the emotional toilet, this woman's suffering, okay? And she hears about Jesus. She hears about that he might be the Messiah, that he's a miracle man, that he can restore, he can redeem. And she's like, dude, if I could just get close to him, if if I could just get close enough to like touch the hem of his robe. And she does, and what happens? Let's read about it. Luke chapter eight, verses 46 through 48. I think you guys should have this one too, David. Yeah, great. This is Jesus. They're, they're arguing about whether or not someone touched him, right? There's the crowds and Jesus is like, someone touched me. And Peter's like, Jesus, all of these people are crowding around you. Someone touched you. And this is what Jesus says. He, Jesus is incredible, dude. There's nobody like him. He's amazing. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Verse 48, of all the things that Jesus would say to her, what does he start with? Daughter. Huh. Daughter. Daughter, he said to her, your what has saved you? 
What does it say? Faith. Interesting. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The 10 lepers from Luke 17. Similar thing. I'm not going to read it because I don't have time. Jesus heals, and then he says the same thing to them. He says, your faith has saved you. The blind beggar in the very next chapter, chapter 18, Jesus heals him, and then he says the exact same thing. Your faith has saved you. Do you see what, the, what Jesus is rewarding yet? Throw up Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Now without what? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Remember I said that you have the ability to bring God pleasure. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he, what? Rewards those who seek him. Not his stuff. Him. The little girls who dance around the stage of their life playing to an audience of one. Here's the point. God sovereignly rewards faith. Sometimes it's physical, it's physical healing. Other times, it's comfort in the midst of suffering. It's not always the physical healing. It's not always what we want when we want it. However, God sovereignly rewards faith every time. I challenge you to find me one example in the Bible where God does not reward a person's faith. Friends, God sees it all. Nothing is is hidden and he cares more about the why than the what. So hear me. Whenever you act in obedience, when you live life his way, that's the kingdom. when you you attach truth to what he says is true, when you operate like Jesus would if he was you, even when no one else is watching, in secret, that's acting in faith. And hear me, Jesus says, God sovereignly rewards faith in him every single, time without fail but what's the reward he rewards with with what with the pleasure of closeness and intimacy with your heavenly father with more of him and his kingdom in your life daughter your faith has saved you, delivered you from where you were. Son, your faith has saved you. 
I've delivered you from where you were. Where you were was my kingdom was absent to one degree or another. So friends, there are people who live in pursuit of the better reward and there are people who settle for less. And Jesus is going, don't be like those guys that settle for less, man. They have their reward. There's a better reward. So my question for each one of us this morning is, which reward will we live for? Because you're living for a reward, man. You are. You're just like me. Living for a reward is not the bad thing. It's not. Oh, but my friends, there's a better reward. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Some of us, um, some of us are in a season where we are uh, we're settling for the lesser rewards, and I feel like the Spirit wants to draw our attention to the better reward, the pleasure of closeness and intimacy with our heavenly Father, more of Him and His kingdom. If that's you, I want to just invite you as an act of faith. I think God wants you to receive this morning. As an act of faith, just put your hands out in front of you. Posture of receiving. And for those of you that are doing just that, can I encourage you that God sovereignly rewards faith in him every time even the small little actions like putting your hands in front of you have eternal purpose. And so Father, I pray that you would honor the acts of faith in this room. I pray that you would comfort and you would convict in a way that ultimately saves us, that delivers us from kingdoms that are in opposition to you and your kingdom whether it be the kingdoms we erect for ourselves where we're the king, we're the queen, we call the shots, we know best, when in reality we don't. And the, and the evidence for that is the lack of joy, the lack of peace, the lack of security. I pray, Lord, that you would cultivate in us um, the desire to live our lives, as cliche as it is, to live our lives for an audience of one asking, God, what, what do you desire and how can I please you? Not because I want something from you, because I just want to bring you pleasure. Isn't that love? We love because you first loved us. You initiate, we respond. Jesus, you're the groom and we are your bride. And so would you help us? I pray for every heart in this room who's who's missing out on the pleasure of knowing you and being known by you. Anybody in the room who's missing out on the pleasure of knowing that they're forgiven of their sins and their trespasses 
Anybody in the room is missing out on the pleasure of knowing that they, they, have the, they, they can receive the righteousness of Christ, how? Through faith, that it's actually please, it was pleasing for you, God. It was pleasing for you t- to take on flesh in the person of Jesus, to live the perfect life that, that we never could and to do that in our place. And not only to do that in our place, but to, to take the cross, to, to the punishment, the, the shame for all of our sin, all of our rebellion, to do that in our place. And not only that, but to rise again, to conquer death and to demonstrate that through your resurrection. It's proof that you're trustworthy. Trustworthy means you define what's true. And so would you help us be men and women who understand the reality of who we are and who you are and that there's a better reward for us. Help us to receive a greater measure of your grace on us this morning. We love you, Jesus. And we ask these things in your holy and beautiful name. Amen. Friends, will you stand with me if you're able? We're gonna spend the remainder, maybe 10 more minutes of our gathering, and this is a time of response. I wish we had more time. I'm sorry I preached a little long, but this is when the rubber meets the road. This is when, this is when we ascribe worth to God through our, through our mouths and through our bodies and through our minds. There's trusted men and women off to the side, For some of you, the act of ascribing most worth to God, the act of faith is just to go receive ministry from somebody filled with God's spirit who wants to to, uh, care for you in in your time of need, whatever that is. You can can go at any time in the next several minutes, anytime. Go receive prayer. Maybe God's highlighting some things where you're settling for the lesser rewards in life and you're missing out on your inheritance. Him, his kingdom. Receive prayer. The band's gonna minister to us an opportunity to praise him because he's worthy. And then in about 10 minutes or so, Herrick's gonna come up and pastor us and close us, okay? Love you guys very much. Enjoy him. Thank you, Father, for sending your son for us. Thank you that Jesus shed his blood for us to forgive us, to purify us, to set us apart for himself. He died because of our failures and he died to set us free from the sin that causes them and the sin that rules over us, the sin that destroys. He defeated it and I thank you and we thank you for him. And I thank you that he is now our shepherd who leads us into life and pleasures forevermore. As David talked about, we love you and we're grateful to you. Pray that you would do something in us this morning. In your name, amen. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, Some words of Jesus that have been on my mind here the last last few minutes. Uh, Out of Matthew 7, he says, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose. The wind blew and pounded that house. So an atmospheric river, like what we have right now, comes in to a house that's not prepared, or to a house that is prepared, and that house withstands because the foundation was on the rock. 
Verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house and it collapsed and great was its collapse. Uh, why am I reading these words to you? I have this sense this morning, a part of maybe what it, what it looks like to receive the words of Jesus, which can be really hard. And sometimes you can feel like, man, it feels like a cosmic stickler. Like, what does he care about my attitude? I'm doing the right thing. If we don't have the proper attitude, we'll never make it. Life is just too hard. Following Jesus is just too hard. Uh, we will eventually come up, like for example, just give you one example that I was thinking about, just for myself. If, uh, if the people were living for the, the approval and the applause of the audience and being seen by the audience, what happens when the audience stops clapping or caring and starts criticizing? What happens then? You see what I mean? Like, it'll be like, an, like a plane. My mom was on a plane once that had an engine flame out. They had to land that plane immediately. It will not fly. It will not get you across the country if you're on an airplane that flames out. If you have two engines that go out, you're going down. You need to have an excellent pilot who can find an airport, and it's happened a couple times in human history, but most of the time, that's the end. It's very rare. Um, my, my point is, if you have the right actions without the right attitude, you will be like one airplane, an airplane with a single engine. It will not make it. You will not make it to the destination. And what is waiting for you, if you've ever been in an airport received by family that you haven't seen in a long time, is a warm reception into the kingdom of heaven. Your father will be waiting for you to get off the plane. But you're going to need two engines for that. You won't make it on one. And so I'm going to pray. Tom had some amazing things to share this morning. Thank you. I feel like that was super helpful. Hope you took some notes. If not, you can listen to this again. And I'm just going to pray that God would highlight to you what specifically this looks like. There's too many people in this room, too many permutations and possibilities. I can't address them all. Also, I'm out of time. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you know what each person in this room needs to do in order to move into a space of doing everything to please you and honor you. Doing all things to the glory of God like the scriptures talk about. I don't know what that looks like for each person, but you do. And I pray that as a community, as we grab hold of Jesus, who loved us and laid down his life for us, would we follow his way, where his actions and his attitudes were always for the right audience. He was a complete, uh, he was a, a single, he had a single devotion to God as his father to please him. Would we be a people whose actions and attitudes and audience all line up out of a pure devotion to our Father who loves us. Thank you, Father. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, I'm gonna close this out. If you would like to get prayer, there's still people available who would love to pray for you. If you've got kids in kids' ministry, please go grab them so we can relieve our kids' workers. And we hope you have a wonderful weekend.